let's have a little look at um, the passage. It's in Acts chapter 2. Um, and it, we're going to read from verse 37. So I've read 36. I'll read 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter, in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people were added to their number. That's why they didn't have buildings, too many of them. Um, well, Lord, we ask that as we look at this passage now, uh, you would speak to us. Um, you would call us um, and that, uh, Lord, we wouldn't be the same because of, it, because of this time engaging with your word and being in tune with what you're saying to us by your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us afresh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's, there's, there's two things that the crowd says um, in, in light of what Peter said when he articulates the gospel, who Jesus is and what he did for them on the cross. And the first thing that happens is they are, they're cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. There is this moment of deep conviction. It's like there's a moment for the crowds there, those who didn't think they were drunk, but those who the Lord kind of captured their hearts and their minds, opened their, their hearts up to this gospel message. There was, they, there was deep conviction. It's almost like the, the Lord in that moment pinpointed the reality of their situation, the sinfulness in their own hearts. I don't know if you've ever felt that, like where the Lord's kind of put his finger on, on something like a, a pattern or a behavior, a way of thinking. Um, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but it, for me, it's, a, it's not, a, when the Lord does that, he does it so kindly. It's not to condemn you, but to lead you to himself, to lead you to his grace and his mercy. Because this is what Peter says when, it, when he says, um, repent and be baptized. Um, it's so that you can experience the forgiveness of your sins, to, to, to experience that wholeness again, the love of God, and to experience and receive the Holy Spirit, God living inside of you. And so God reveals his kindness to them in Christ. This is what, as Peter's speaking, it's like the Lord is revealing his kindness and his goodness to them. And it cuts them to the heart with the conviction of, oh, oh, who am I? What have I done? Who is this God that, that, that he would love me like this, that he would die for me like this? And there's this moment of deep conviction when they realize um, their kind of state 
and who, what God has done for them through Christ. And so at this moment of conviction, it then leads them to this question, well, what shall we do? They've looked at themselves to see the brokenness and the sinfulness inside of them. And they're like, well, how, how can we fix this? What do we need to do? And my mind always goes to when I'm thinking about you know, that question, what should I do? It's like, well, do I need to pray more? Do I need to, you know, kneel or fast or give more money away? Or do I need to hold myself in awkward positions and scrunch my face up and what do I need to do and uh, so often we think the answer when we look at the brokenness inside of us is to work harder or to to, uh, you know to try and muster up more self-control and put on more holiness and look better and suck your tummy in and whatever it might be Um, but Peter says it's not any of that it's repent and be baptized and as you repent As you repent, and we'll talk about what repentance actually is, but when you repent, it's then you'll receive the full forgiveness and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we repent, when we, and repentance simply is turning to God, when we we have that realization of the brokenness in our heart and we turn to God, turn away from the old self and we turn to God, in that moment, you receive full forgiveness and the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, is, it's almost like it's repentance that unlocks the kindness and the mercy of God. But in some ways, it's like a circle because it's the kindness and the mercy of God that brings about our repentance. And it's our repentance that brings about the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And there's this wonderful cycle um, going on. Repentance is a tricky topic, though, to kind of speak about. I think in our culture right now, um, it's very difficult for us to get our heads around um, this idea that we have sin or brokenness in us. I think it's hard for our culture, maybe for some of us here, to admit that we need saving or that we need to confess sin or, or that we might need to change the way that we are living. But that's really what repentance is. It's an acknowledgement that I am broken, that I do sin, that I do need saving, that there is a work of confession and turning to Christ that needs to happen, and there is life change that will follow. And so repentance is this moment where we turn to Christ and in so doing, looking in the face of Christ, the goodness of God, we are to experience the grace and the mercy of God. And in it, we kind of get caught up in the flow of his forgiveness and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself comes and lives within you. Our repentance um, is our response to the kindness of God. That is his kindness, his kindness to us. He shows us how much he loves us. How much he's, how far he's willing to go to save us. And in the light of that, his, his true kindness, his love for us, it brings us to that point of repentance, that turning to God again. Romans says it really clearly. It says this we don't realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, it's intended to lead us to him. 
In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, when we repent, our sins are wiped out, and then refreshing comes from the Lord. There is a sense in which as we turn from um, the, the brokenness and the sin that we have in our lives and we turn towards Christ, the brokenness and the sin and so on that we know that reigns inside of us is wiped away and we have this moment of refreshing and healing that, that, that God longs to bring to us by the Holy Spirit. And so um, our willingness to, to repent, to turn to Christ, I think is a, is a crucial aspect of our Christian living. And, and if, if, you're, if you're anything like me, it is, it is something that you continually go back to because it feels like the Lord pinpoints things in my life um, so regularly um, that I need to say, oh, Lord, will, will you help me with this? Will you transform me in this area? And I think that as we learn that, that, that art, if you like, of repentance, of turning to Christ, of surrendering ourselves to him, all of us to him, and being obedient to um, his call in our lives and what we read in Scripture, it's in the midst of that that we start to see that us as a church being set on fire um, and us as Christians being set on fire. And as we read through Scripture, time and time again, it's repentance that unlocks the mercy and the forgiveness of God, which is on offer for you. Um, you, you read it in Jonah, you know, when Jonah comes into Nineveh and he's like, repent. And Jonah didn't want them to repent because they're horrible people in his view. And uh, they immediately repented of their sin and their wickedness, and God forgave them. In an instant, and that upset Jonah a lot. Um, but that's why it's a good thing Jonah, I suppose, is not God, and God is. And then a further thing to repentance. So not only does it unlock this, this kind of forgiveness and, and um, experience of the Holy Spirit in us, it, it, it is in some ways a way where as we surrender ourselves and say, God, I'm going to be obedient to what you're calling me to, it creates or produces in us a, a, a fresh template or a clean slate by which God can form us and our community into the likeness of Jesus. Um, in which when, when we repent and when we allow the Spirit of God to come inside of us, we start to look remarkably different from the status quo. We stand out. We become people. Um, we become a church um, that is one that creates culture rather than one that is shaped by the culture around us. And I think that's the call of the Christian and the church, isn't it? That when, when Christ starts to live in you by the Holy Spirit, our mandate then is to create kingdom culture in the midst of a, a, a different culture, to be people who are not shaped by the culture around them, but be one who forms culture. So we see patterns of injustice. We bring a culture where justice flows. We, instead of being formed by a culture that's bound up in, you know, you have to look like this and be like this, and if you're not, then you're nothing. But we start to create a culture. We say to people, God loves you and created you, and all of those external voices telling you you need to do this, that, the other, they're not what you need to be listening to. Listen to God. And I was reading Justin Martyr. He was a second century Christian theologian. So it's like 100 years, I suppose, after this moment of Pentecost and the spread of the church. And he wrote this letter to the emperor of the day, Antonius Pius. And this is what he wrote. 
about the Christian church at the time. He said, we formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now we love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now we dedicate ourselves to true and unbegotten God. We used to love money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have and to everyone who is in need. Before um, one another, sorry, before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those from another race, but now since the manifestation of Christ, we have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win them over, win over those who hate us without just cause. And then he goes on to say um, that um, those who were opposed to Christianity, those who were following Christ, were sometimes won over as they saw the consistency in the lives of the believers, noting their extraordinary forbearance when cheated and their honesty in business dealings. In the what, what happens when we are willing to submit our lives, surrender our lives unto Christ in repentance. He then starts to work in us and our culture and our very lives are utterly transformed. And we start to see a movement of the gospel that transforms our town. So what's repentance? How do we do it? Repentance really is it's turning to God. It's, it, it's an acknowledgement that I need God. In the Bible, it sometimes talks about with godly sorrow, we look upon ourselves and our sinfulness and we bring it to God, asking him to transform the way that we think and we act. It's, it's turning to him. It involves surrender. It involves obedience uh, to God. It is, it is a response to the kindness of God in which we say, take my whole life and nothing is held back. Dallas Willard, when he was writing on repentance, he says that repentance is not beating your head on the floor or feeling bad for your sins. Repentance is to rethink your thinking so as to change the way that you've been thinking and you've been acting. Repentance is a way of responding to the gospel with the whole of your life so that you can be used by God for his purposes as God, God's kingdom kind of breaks in in this local area. And so repentance is saying to God, here's my whole life. Um, nothing is off the table redeem it all, use it all. It means um, surrendering our relationships, our money, our career, social media, time, and list goes on and saying, God, would you work in and through all of me? And it's costly and it's hard to do because it, it is an acknowledgement um, that or, or actually requires us kind of in humility to say, God, I believe that you know best and I can trust you with all of my life. Um, and I think when I, like if I'm just thinking of myself now when it comes to this moment of surrender and obedience, um, and you may relate to this, but I often find myself not surrendering all of myself to God. You know, when I, when I consider the God who gave everything for me on the cross, I, I tend to um, 
I, t- I tried to negotiate, I suppose, the terms of my conversion. That's probably the best way of putting it. I'm like, I will, um, I, I'm willing to give my whole life to you and surrender. I'm willing to repent of all of my life and turn to you afresh. Except, and then the list kind of happens for me. It's like my, my money, uh, you can have all of my life, but my money, however, uh, that is mine. <laughs> Or, um, you know, you can have all of my life, but my relationships are, are mine. Or, um, you know, my, you can have my whole life, but the career, that career thing, the career path I'm on, that, that's actually mine. I'll do it my way. Or it might be that you're, you, uh, yeah, and I had a long phase of like, Lord, I will surrender all of my Sunday mornings to you, um, and the rest of the week is mine. And so you, you kind of you fill in the blank. I'm sure there are things that you you maybe maybe the Lord's even pinpointing now. You know, it, it, it's as you as you think about how what this repentance thing might look like for you, and what surrender and obedience to Him might look like. It might be that the Lord's just speaking to you kindly because that's what He does about areas that maybe he's asking you to hand to him. And for me, honestly, I find it very easy to know which parts of my life um, I'm unwilling to surrender or repent of um, because they are the, the areas of my life that when I'm challenged on them, I have an unproportionate reaction to it. Um, you know, I feel like the Lord's speaking to me right now about a bunch of things that I need to surrender. Um, so if I was to be honest to you, I think, one of the areas that the Lord is really on my case about is my use of my phone. I, 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 it's the first thing that I'll look at when I first wake up. Um, it kind of governs my attention a lot of the time. It takes my attention away from my family and, and this. And I, I know deeply that the Lord is convicting me of that. Now, when that's brought to my attention by my children or my wife, I, I don't always respond so well to it. <laughs> I'm like, it's mine. (laughs) It's my thing. Um, But I know deep down that the Lord is saying to me, Andy, this is an area that you need to surrender because it is, yeah, it it, it, it is preventing you from surrendering all. The Lord has also been speaking to me about alcohol. Um, I don't think I I was someone that drank to excess. You you may, (laughs) I don't think I did. But... (laughs) Uh, but I feel, I feel like, if I'm, if I'm, again, in the, in the spirit of being honest with you, I've, alcohol became something by which it was my means of relaxing. It was my means by which I was like, you know, I, I, I de-stressed. Um, you know, there's like, yes, do you know what? It's been a stressful day, but as soon as I get home, I can crack open a beer and everything will be okay. And the Lord's like, has been really speaking to me about that. He's like, really? It's alcohol that's going to bring you the peace or de-stress you? You can't possibly find that in me. (laughs) Do you know what it feels like? The Lord's like, maybe you need to surrender the wonderful craft beers that that you've you've enjoyed for so long. And actually, fascinatingly, I I went for a long spat and and I'm not drinking this year, and it it was incredible, actually. Um, and, 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 and the ways, not only did I lose a bit of the beer belly, um, which has been, that's been really nice, some of the compliments that I've got from different people, but um, it's also, it's, 
yeah, I, I feels like it, it has grown me in my spiritual life as I've surrendered that to him afresh. Money is another area. I stress about money all the time. Where, how are we going to make ends meet? Can't be generous. Can't give away money because we've got all of these bills to pay. And the Lord's like, come on. Actually, trust me with this stuff. And so they, they, I feel like I'm continually in this process of, of the Lord, you know, in the light of the gospel, the Lord just kindly pinpointing, here's an area. Surrender it to me. Here's an area. Surrender it to me. And, 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 and what happens is it's not that he wants to ruin your life by surrendering. When I, when I was um, a new driver, Actually, I'd been driving for a couple of years. Uh, I had this manual. I had Mitsubishi Mirage. Uh, it was a beautiful car. You may have heard me tell this before. Um, but basically, uh, I, it was a manual. And my sister um, was learning to drive, wasn't very good with a manual. And uh, she wanted to show my grandfather, who was quite an elderly man, um, how to drive. She could, look, I can drive a manual. And I was like, I'm not really sure you can drive a manual. But if you want to take our elderly grandfather out for a drive in a manual, then, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Good luck to you. So anyway, I was, I was stood out the front of the house and I handed my keys of my prized possession, my car, to my sister. And she turned the car and my grandfather got in. She was there. And like, I want to impress you, like where we lived, I, my dad was a chaplain at, at a, quite a big school in Australia and we were in Orange, so we, like, we had space for days. And so there was basically two football fields worth of grass um, out the front of our house and there were like two trees, tiny <laughs> trees. Um, with, they had like those black star posts around them to keep them up. They were tiny trees. And um, so I was like, <laughs> there's no way she'll hit the trees. <laughs> anyway, so I handed the keys, she turned it on. And as I watched, it was like it was happening in slow motion. She, she turned the car on, she, she basically floored the accelerator so the poor little car's like screaming with the amount of revs that's going on. And then she just dropped the clutch. And this, the wheels were spinning. And it, just, it was like a magnet towards these trees. And it hit the trees. And then, because she just like floored it, it started to climb up the tree ever so slightly <laughs> until the, tr- the, the car stalled. And then it's like thumped to the ground. My grandfather's like, and, uh, My sister's in tears. It was a shambles. I was in tears. It was like, my car. And um, it, was a, it was a horrible moment. And it made me think very carefully about who I gave my keys to my car to again. And in a similar way, I think sometimes we have this caution in us. It's like, if I hand the keys of my life, if I fully surrender unto God, he's going to ruin my life. He's going to make me do things I don't want to do. He's going to make me speak in ways that are going to be weird. He's going to make me wear my trousers extraordinarily high and dress, speak all Christianese. Um, but I think the more that I've journeyed with God and the more that I've been willing to surrender my life to him, to be willing to repent, to turn towards Christ, never once have I felt like the Lord as he's taken my life. Never once have I thought, gosh, you are ruining my life. My experience, and as I read in Scripture, and my experience of God is that um, I have been increasingly set free. Um, I have increasingly felt as if I am flourishing because I'm not held captive to the things of this world. I have, I have really sensed the, the transformation of my thinking 
such that I'm free and I'm becoming more free. And my prayer point just a moment ago is that I would, I would fear people, the point of your people less. And I feel like the Lord is doing that um, in me. But um, that's not to say that the Lord doesn't want to form you and transform you, that as you hand your life over to him, he will, change will happen. But in my experience, being, it's being for the best as he transforms the way I think and the way that I conduct myself and make me more like Christ. And so my, I, think, I think when it comes to surrender, when it comes to repentance, turning to Christ in light of the gospel, it does mean um, handing over things that maybe we don't want to hand over. Um, and saying, God, would you have your way in it? Would you transform my thinking in this? Would you speak to me and form me in these places? And so it might be that it's, it's Lord, have my career. And will you work in and through it, speak to me through it? It doesn't mean you give up your career necessarily, but it might be that the way that you conduct yourself in your career changes. It might be um, the handing over of your money or your sex life or your relationships or your thought life or, in my case, relationship with alcohol or your view of your body or your life or whatever it might be. It's, it's essentially saying, Lord, will you have your way in my life and conform it to yours? And, and, and this, I believe, is a massive, uh, it, well, it feels like a cost. It feels like a step of faith. It feels like a trust exercise like no other, where you hand over the very precious, private, valuable things in your life and you say, God, will you have your way in them? But, but I want to reiterate that God, his, his desire is not to ruin your life. He, he, he wants to form and shape you into something beautiful. Um, if you're willing to surrender unto him, repent from the sin and the brokenness in your life and turn to Christ again, then in my experience and as we read in Scripture, he will set you free from the trappings of our culture where we, we think you know, we need to earn more or have more status or have more power. He'll set you free from that, rat, that, that kind of rat race or treadmill that we find ourselves in. You know, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. An ascension which you hand over the career, the money, the worries, all that sort of stuff. And we seek God first with our lives. He will take care of us. And believe that as we hand over, um, you know, our relationships that we have, he'll bring fulfillment and security in them in a deep place so that our identity is not bound up in who we're dating or who we're with, but it will be bound up in who we are in light of Christ, which will bring life and freedom in your relationships in a way that you've never experienced. He'll speak deep into who you are and speak into your sense of identity and remind you afresh how much you are loved by him and that your sense of self-worth doesn't have to rise or fall on the words of others, but can be found in the security of the God whose view of you never changes. He loves you. He can free you and will free you from sin and addiction. He'll bring you rest. 
He'll transform the way that you work and you think such that you're able to be slower and more intentional and not be so tired. He'll bring you peace in the midst of stress and anxiety. He'll declare into your insecurities and anxieties that you are enough, that you are beautiful, you are worth dying for, and he will use you in ways you couldn't even imagine. He will set you on fire. He will set us on fire. And this is what we saw when we read Acts, and this is the most encouraging thing, because in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter articulates the gospel, and this moment of individual and corporate repentance leads to utter transformation of the individuals and the communities of the day. And we're going to preach on this passage next week, but let me just read it to you now in anticipation of that. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so in that moment of repentance and surrender, God brings about a holiness and a love for him. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And so in the midst of repentance and surrender unto him, we start to see God at work in miraculous ways. We start to believe that anything is possible through Christ. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And so what the fruit of the Spirit and this corporate repentance was that we start to see kindness and compassion bubble up and suddenly Poverty is eradicated and those in need are no more and everyone's cared for. There's a transformation in this society. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And there's two things in there. One, there's no sense of loneliness because they were together in friendship and community. Can you imagine a society without loneliness? Can you believe that the UK has appointed a loneliness minister? Loneliness is an epidemic proportion in our country and in our town. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon a community like that, then there starts to be the type of community that starts to eradicate loneliness in our midst. People are known and they're loved. And then the other marker there, of not only is there a deep sense of community and friendship, we also see it's marked with joy. That we have glad and sincere hearts. Can you imagine a community where you are known, you are loved and you are laughing? This is a vision for the church and for God's kingdom. And then they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This moment of the Spirit coming, repentance, surrender, obedience leads to the growth of the church. And we see more and more people come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack that, um, those kind of verses over the next two weeks, what it looks like to be a people of holiness and a people of deep community. But when I read those verses, that's like, that's what I want for Felton. I want the people of Felton um, to know kindness and compassion, to know friendship and community, to know joy to be part of a growing community, to, to know God in miraculous ways and for him to produce holiness in them whereby they are forgiven and given hope. That's what I want. That's what I, I would love our community to be like. It was D.L. Moody that said, um, he was like an American evangelist. He said this, and this, is, this has kind of captured my heart at the moment. He says, the world is yet to see what God can do 
but a person fully consecrated to God. And by God, by, with God's help, I aim to be that man. Fully consecrated to him. Fully surrendered to him. D.R. Moody, aim to be that man. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. But by God's help, I aim to be that man. And I think that, for me, kind of sums up um, all that I've been speaking about this morning. Is that I long for the Lord to work in and through me. And I know that um, a part of that process is surrendering myself unto him in light of the gospel and being obedient to him. And so my chief aim um, as we're part of Christ Church is to be all in.